you want to be the absolute best candidate for a job you'll love in a career with balance? Veteran leadership career catalyst Jonathan Flax is teaming up with leading executive search professionals to provide you with cutting-edge career transition strategies. Welcome to Career Transition Experts. And now, here's your host, Jonathan Flax. Hi, Carl. Hi, Jonathan. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Very well, thanks, indeed. How are you? I'm doing good. It's been a good day so far. Had a good one. All right, great. Great. Why don't you tell people a little bit about your background um, and why you're uh, on the career transition experts? How come you're an expert? And then what is the secret sauce we're going to learn from you today? Okay. Well, basically, my background in a nutshell is a bit over 40 years in, uh, in the career recruiting business, starting out on the corporate side, ending up uh, as a director of HR, and then moving uh, a number of years ago into more of a coaching consulting and uh, third-party recruiting function. And uh, along the way, I've uh, also picked up a client uh, about 25 years ago. Uh, the client is the Adler Group. And uh, Lou Adler is one of the, uh, I guess, key influencers uh, in the area of recruiting and hiring and has a methodology called performance-based hiring. And I've done all the worldwide certification for that for the past 25 years, as well as coach uh, people through that. About 95% of the people going through there are corporate recruiters and their hiring teams. And as such, that's exposed me to uh, taking a look in depth at almost every, uh, I guess you could say almost every industry there is, and uh, almost every job family within those industries, which is a, a very unique uh, perspective that I bring. And as part of that certification, that requires that I work with them through a complete search assignment from job open to job close. So I get to evaluate their real work. And so from a job seeker perspective, I'm pretty well suited and capable of reverse engineering that. And no matter what level uh, their careers are at or what industry uh, they come from and help them understand uh, what they need to do in order to prove the odds of getting the job that they're, that they're after. Does that kind of give you a, a better idea? Oh yeah, that's really clear. And uh, that's why I think we were starting to talk. I'm really impressed that you train the trainer, you train uh, the recruiters, you train the executive yes, recruiters and the hiring parties on this performance based recruiting methodology. Yes. And um, that's really fascinating. It gives you an ex- uh, for, for so long, for so long and so many different industries. It gives you a great perspective. I'm really grateful you're with us on the, on the uh, podcast today. I'm just Thank glad you. that you asked me. I, I enjoy talking about it, as you can tell. So if yeah. I start reading a bit, just uh, hold up your hand and I'll, I'll cut it off. <laughs> All right. Well, let's start with, um, you know, like what, what is, uh, you know, there's so many different things and many different, re- you know, recruiters and trainers and coaches say, oh, you know, it's kind of the same thing over and over again, but what would you say is like one really key focal point that you want to make sure that uh, candidates know about that may, they may not hear of anywhere else? I, I think that there are a number of things we could talk about, but one thing that really uh, I like to always mention, if I could only mention one thing, it's what I call the best question of all time from a candidate perspective mm. and built around understanding what the key performance objectives are for any job, no matter whether it's in the executive suite or uh, someone out in the warehouse, and it works pretty well. And the question would go something like this, Jonathan, 
I, I appreciate very much you having me in for an interview, but let me ask you this. What would I have done or accomplished at the end of one year that would make you say to me, I'm really glad you hired us. And what that does, that question or some derivative or similar question of that, it really gets to the success factors of what that job is in terms of job performance. And it really moves the hiring official or the recruiter away from a box checking list of skills and experiences into understanding what that job is. And I never will forget, I was delivering a talk to a set of executives in transition here in the Dallas area uh, several years back. It was a breakfast meeting and uh, I taught them that question. And uh, I, there was probably a dozen and a half uh, uh, executives in that meeting from C-level suites to senior directors. And I got probably half a dozen emails back in the next weeks that followed and said, I'm so glad you taught me that question. I was about to make a huge mistake once I really figured out what they really wanted me to do and what the job really was. So it not only allows you to keep from making a mistake, but you now can showcase your experience and expertise in direct contrast to what the key objectives of that job is. So it, if I had to say that's one best question of all time. Mm, it's really great. It aligns very much with uh, our approach that we want our candidates, right? And you and I share this, that we want our candidates to be seen by the hiring parties in the future they're creating together. Yes. We want them to imagine that future. But the only way they know how to uh, traditionally do that is by looking at the past and, like you say, checking the boxes. So that question of if it's a year from now, what did we do to be successful, it really generates a conversation that will either be in align with or, or distinct and different from the written job description and really engage in a conversation for a shared co-created future. That's a great question. So uh, say a little more about how you came to that. And um, yeah, how did you come to that uh, it, nugget? Yeah, well, it, it gives, gets back to reverse engineering and that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Uh, because when we teach and coach performance-based hiring, we probably force the recruiter and the hiring manager to make the biggest paradigm shift that you can imagine. And it's away from a more traditional, dull, boring uh, job description, what we call a traditional HR job description, and moves that into uh, defining what we sometimes call performance objective, or you could also say it's a KPO or a key performance objective. And that's a term probably a lot of uh, people are going to be familiar with. And that's asking them the question, uh, again, the reverse of it, let's talk about what success on the job looks like. And let's define what that person needs to do to be successful. And by default, that then encompasses the kind of skills and experiences in the background that they need. And uh, that allows you to develop more of a, uh, what we call an EVP or employee value proposition, which you can use to market your job. And once I studied that for a while, I thought, gee, it would be really great if uh, candidates could force that information uh, if they don't get it voluntarily. And quite frankly, they don't rarely get, the, get it quite like that. So that's how I came up with it. And it's worked really well. Yeah. Yeah, I hear from a lot of recruiters that, uh, especially you know, recruiting agencies, that the hiring parties are not as well prepared as they could be and, certain, and sometimes less prepared than the candidates. Um, so say more about that uh, employee value proposition. How does when someone hears the, uh, the answer to the question, what does success look like, how do, 
now the now the, tr the traditional interview structure is shaken up. How do they go about expressing that? Well, let me give you a little context around that because part of the performance-based uh, uh, hiring training uh, in the uh, key module two, and there's there's four key modules, is really to develop an EVP, and it is totally surprising that is a foreign uh, concept to almost every recruiter maybe not so much to some hiring managers that have been involved in marketing but that's something i look at and you ask them to uh, after training to develop an evp for the job that uh, they're moving through with the certification and i would say probably in about 85 90 percent of the time they just fail that that portion they really start the hiring party fails at describing yeah. what an a yes absolutely proposition they, they, or a profile fail. would be for a fitting candidate yes and so if they don't know how to do that it's very difficult for them to turn around and present the job in an attractive manner which i call the what's in it for me uh, idea or concept and uh, they just don't get it the first time around so i have to work with them and coach them and it's it's really the fact that the recruiters in particular are not trained to have this marketing component and it's vital uh, and it's almost always showcased if you go to indeed.com or one of the major job engines and you start searching for any job you get a very dull uh bullet list box checking uh, hr job description hr duties and that's that's really more about the person what we want to do is talk about the job you know what the job looks like and by default then you can back in that as a as an individual. So we talk and you know, we do things like, you know, stress the word you and your, and you know, to write that as if they're talking to only one person. And once you start coaching around that and dig a little deeper, then they start getting it. But uh, that's a real shortcoming on the part of the recruiters that we talk to. Mm, right. Um, with most of our uh, listeners of the Career Transition Experts podcast being candidates, um, how does a, a candidate weave a story if they're not going to be asked sort of the traditional questions, but they find out what this vision of uh, success looks like? How do you direct well, I, that? Uh, the best question of all time, uh, I like to coach people to ask that as early in the process as they can. It's a little bit uh, clumsy to ask it right off the bat, but, uh, right. you know, pretty quickly that uh, we'd like to get to that, that question. And so, you know, once you know that, then how you weave your story is to look back into your own background and say, what have I done that's most comparable to what they need done? Uh, and short of having that question in hand, I like to say, you can look back at the, the company's products, services, clientele, customers, um, and get some inkling, uh, depending upon the job that you're going to be uh, talking about or what career aspect. Another good way to get that is to go into LinkedIn and look for people who are currently working there or have worked there in a job that's similar to your background and what you believe early to be the job and look and see what they've done, how they've described their work and what, uh, if they have any accomplishments. And so you're, you're, you know, scrapping around and looking for those clues, but it's, it's really, really uh, helpful to have that um, because what you want to do is, is make sure you have those kinds of things top of mind when you start talking to somebody from that company. Mm, yeah, really good. Really good. You know, it really plays also to it. Um, people make decisions very quickly. We know studies that um, decision makers look at resumes for like seven and a half seconds. 
yes. uh, decisions subconsciously are made very quickly. So by getting that conversation on the table, envisioning that future, and having the candidate speak to the core point of successful outcomes early on, the rest of the interview could be a bit about getting to know each other and can we live together? Because I also say, uh, can't you know, this interview process is discovering will we get the work done and will we enjoy spending more time with each other than we spend with our families? Um, what are some of the things you've heard or seen that are the stupidest things you've seen smart people do? Uh, well, let me, uh, um, let me illustrate a story. I was working with uh, one of the top 10 largest uh, companies uh, in the U.S., a technology company. I won't name who they are, but, uh, uh, but I spoke to a recruiter there after he, uh, after he had uh, experienced some frustration with uh, some of the candidates, not necessarily my candidates, but just in general, he, as we were discussing the job. And I'd like to, I, I actually thought you might ask something like that. I'd like to read you his quote, if I may, so I don't do it disservice. Sure, but sure, sure. Th this, is, this is what he said. He said, I am constantly amazed that candidates have not prepared for their interviews. We tell them we're going to do a behavioral interview and ask them to have specific examples ready for a discussion, yet, in a large number of instances, they don't come prepared adequately. They just don't have good examples ready. I feel they have good work examples. They just don't have them in front of their mind. When they give poor examples, I have no choice but to disqualify them, disqualify them from further consideration. And that's a, that's a direct quote. So it really gets at one, preparation, and two, knowing how to respond to a behavioral type question and what that style of interview uh, looks like, because there's, there's actually seven different types of interviews in my mind. And usually you get some hybrid uh, version of those, uh, those interview styles. Mm, yeah. Uh, would you say that behavioral style is most common in this kind of question of looking for examples, like um, for someone who maybe not doesn't know these distinctions, what, say more about that. Now, behavioral interview is really looking at competencies and people or, or companies, I should say, that use that methodology really for each job they've gone through and defined a set of competencies. You know, it could be something like, uh, you know, leadership, uh, could be uh, any, anything like that has to do if you're in marketing or sales with, you know, customer relations, uh, whatever the competencies that they are. And then they you typically divide those up into maybe the top four or five. And when they're interviewing you, they ask you to give an example of that competency. Uh, and it's, it's a fairly difficult thing to do if you haven't thought about it. And that's really gets at the, um, the objection this particular recruiter had is, you know, they probably thought 30 minutes after their interview was done. And I've actually debriefed a lot of candidates that have told me that said, no, I thought of a perfect example, but that was 30 minutes after the interview was done. And yeah. that's too late. That uh, is too late. And, and, and quite frankly, there are some shortcomings to that, uh, uh, which might be the subject of another, uh, another call sometime when it comes to the employer using that as compared to more of a performance-based uh, style. But uh, uh, nevertheless, it's understanding what those competencies are uh, related to the job. And, and you know, that's some of the things I help uh, my, my uh, candidates understand before they ever go to the interview. Mm. All right. What else would you think is really important for uh, candidates to know and be prepared for as they're facing modern interviews or certainly any performance-based interviews? 
Uh, well, basically, I think we've touched on a lot of them. The key to that is preparation. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've often said that people take more time to prepare for their vacation than they do during the search, uh, job search. And there's no comparison to what the uh, importance of those two topics are. Uh, and along the way, I've seen so many people, particularly executives and senior managers, that uh, try to wing it simply because they've been on the interviewer side of the desk so often so much, uh, but yet they bring a certain amount of bias to that. Uh, they, and they, even though they might have worked for four or five or six companies, that's their, pretty much their total exposure to the, to the interviewing process. Whereas, you know, there, there are hundreds and hundreds of companies that use, you know, some combinations of things. So oh. preparation uh, and the right preparation is, in my, in my mind, key. And then practicing, uh, just being able to deliver uh, an answer. Uh, I often say, uh, and this is another one of my pet uh, sayings, that when you're talking to an interviewer, you need to find out as quickly as possible if you're talking to a clock watcher or a clock builder. And what I mean by that, a clock watcher really only wants to know what time it is, which means not so much detail. A clock builder wants to know how to build a clock. And there are certain occupations that tend to fall into one of those camps or, or the other. And, uh, you know, salespeople, for example, are more clock builder, whereas engineers uh, are more, you know, uh, excuse me, I went backwards. Clock builders, yeah. clock builders are more like engineers and salespeople are, you know, just telling me what time it is. And right. so it, there's a tendency to ramble in your answer. And so, you know, I'm sure you do something similar to this. You know, I teach my candidates to use smart answers, uh, you know, specific, measurable, some action and task and result oriented and be able to deliver that in one to two minutes and then follow that with saying, you know, I'd be happy to elaborate on that in some detail if you'd like. And that gives you a clue as to whether you're talking to the clock builder or the clock, uh, you know, clock watcher. So uh, that's to me something that's really important to understand during the interview process. Yeah, that's really great. And um, really knowing a little bit about your audience and being able to gauge it by that is uh, brilliant. We also have our, our, our clients use something called a bank code where you, there's four different personality types, some more clock watchers, and action types want to get to the bottom line and the opportunity and the sizzle. Others want more structure and detail mm -hmm. or, or more of the technology or logic behind it. Or some just want to make that warm and fuzzy connection. So um, that's great. What, uh, what do you recommend uh, candidates do when they're dealing with a search professional to, to stay on their radar? I mean, how, how does someone stay in touch? Like obviously they want to stay in touch, but what's the best way to go about that? Well, I, I think I think basically having some kind of an organizational structure, you know, I, I'm building into this uh, training portal. That I'm making uh, a, a, a particular solution uh, that uh, I'm not at liberty to mention now, but I'll just tell you it's an organizational tool for uh, the uh, managing a job search. And so, you know, it doesn't take very many days until you're kind of overwhelmed. Who did I contact? When did the last time did I contact them? What did I say to them? If I sent them a, different, a, di a different version of the resume, which version was it? So putting some organization structure in is, is really key. And then just like anything out, reaching out and uh, touching base with the recruiter over time uh, as they just let them know that you're still available. 
uh, and uh, you know, if you begin to build a relationship with them, you know, you might ask them uh, a question or two. Just what's your what's your opinion about X, Y, or Z? And uh, a good recruiter that's interested in relationship building will take the time, you know, very often to at least answer answer that. So you can stay on the radar, you know, that way. That that's the, the best way I know. But you have to realize too that. Recruiters, uh, you know, are really busy people. I know before this COVID thing hit, uh, we trained many recruiters that were having a requisition load of 25 or 30 jobs. And that's just very difficult to, uh, for them to do anything but focus on the, you know, job at hand, the priority of the day. Yeah, the priorities matching. And we're going to return to that now that there's been so much unemployment and business may return to normal pretty quickly. There still might be a double dip on this uh, pandemic, but uh, there's already a lot of indications. Are you seeing indications that companies are hiring? Yes, in fact, we're working with uh, one company uh, helping coach 25 of their recruiters through performance-based hiring. They're a hundred-year-old company and uh, they're still hiring. Uh, they've got a few things on the background. They're still engaging with with candidates uh, and getting their pipeline you know, filled up. And, uh, their recruiters handle anything from, you know, uh, warehouse uh, non-exempt hourly workers to the executive suite. So, I, again, that's an example of where I'm working with recruiters handling a whole variety of things. But uh, that's just one example. And so there are there are definitely companies that are uh, beginning to hire or to fill their pipeline. But it does vary uh, depending upon yeah, the Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, it's very encouraging nevertheless. Yes. What else drives you crazy or pisses you off? I would say it's, it falls into the, the area of communication. Uh, very often on the candidate side, uh, candidates tend not to be forthcoming. Uh, they may be talking to me as a third party recruiter or could be talking to a company recruiter and they're pretty tongue in cheek about other opportunities that they have going. And sometimes they'll start to focus on one and not be up, uh, up front about the, the other. So it's, it's a, a willingness to be upfront uh, with what their status is. And on the company side, it's also a communication thing of, uh, mm. uh, you know, as a third party recruiter like me of, uh, you know, moving along and putting my effort in and then all of a sudden they go dark or don't refer, return phone calls and emails. And then I don't have any idea what their status is, or maybe they hired somebody, uh, you know, through internal means and they just forgot to tell me. So uh, it's that that is really frustrating. Uh, so being upfront and communicating with people, honestly, I think is the best policy. Yeah, I hear you. I get that very clearly. A couple of personal short questions as we begin to wrap up. Okay. I'm a musician. I always like to ask people, what's your favorite? You know, what's your favorite music? Do you have a favorite artist or or, or group? Well, I'm a, I'm a strange bird when it comes to, to music, Jonathan. Uh, if there's probably any one talk, topic I know less about, it'd probably be music, uh, even though I have uh, some of my sons are, uh, you know, have definitely spent time there. But I, I from a standpoint of the type of music I like, uh, I am an old guy, as you can probably tell if I've been in this business for 40 years. Uh, but I, I really still like the music uh, from the middle 50s to the about the middle 60s. Uh, I, I like, that's one style of music I, I like. I like classic country western music and I like southern gospel on, on the religious side and so you'd find me listening to, it, to one of those three things but uh, finding not much appreciation for anything after that which is a little bit strange. I, one of my uh, said, I was very good, very good songs, from, genre, good songs right? from that era we were uh, my, my sweetheart and I were playing darts the other night 
listening to a playlist of 50s and 60s. And she shared with me this morning that she had King of the Road in her head all day. And yeah. I said, I think I did too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What about your legacy? What uh, philanthropies do you support? Uh, all of that's through my church. Uh, I tithe regularly on a monthly nice. basis. And uh, so and there are a few things that come along during the course of the year that uh, seem worthy. And, uh, you know, I've tried to put, uh, you know, put some money into that. And then uh, I also sponsor a child in Africa through the Christian Relief uh, Foundation. And so nice. I, I provide a monthly stipend to help that uh, young lady along with her life and her education. Uh, good man. God bless you. Uh, how can people reach you? We'll put it. We'll put your uh, URL. Tell us the URL you want us to put in the uh, show notes. Yeah, BradfordConsulting.com is uh, there, and there's uh, plenty of uh, ways to contact me uh, there, as as well as schedule a 15-minute introductory meeting if uh, you know if the topic warrants uh, the person wanting to do that. But just BradfordConsulting.com uh, should find me very easily. Great, Carl. Fantastic. Anything else at all you want our listeners to know? No, I think uh, think that's it. If I've answered uh, most of your question, it's uh, I really appreciate you having me. It's uh, always a pleasure to talk with a fellow career professional and discuss this topic. As you can tell, I'm interested and passionate about it, and that's the reason I still do it. You, you and I share that passion. God bless you. Thank you very much, Carl. All Thank the best. Uh huh. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Career Transition Experts. Please make sure to listen to our next episode. And if at any time you want a clear view of the entire career transition process and a sense of where your strengths are and where your challenges are to work on, you'll get your free access to my career TPS assessment at careerexcitement.com. That's www.careerexcitement.com. TPS stands for Transition Performance Snapshot. This is Jonathan Flax wishing you outstanding career success and satisfaction in balance. Looking forward. Bye for now.